Okay, we capped it all off. We went to a um, a worship team seminar. Teresa and Rick and Lori and myself, and uh, it was absolutely over the top. And on the way in this morning, Jan was talking to me. She said, why in the world did you go to a worship leader's seminar? Uh, she knows I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket if I had to, you know. And so um, it, I got a lot out of it, though. They, they had, um, it was at the Magnolia Avenue Baptist Church in Riverside, and it's a huge facility. It was almost like a convention center. And they had different classrooms set up for different things. And you were able to select one of, I don't know, there must have been 17 or 18 different venues going on. And so finally I got to number 18 of 18, and there was mine, finally. It was uh, um, worship media, you know, the PowerPoints and the, uh, the software that we use in the church to make things work. And I thought, well, I can't sing, can't play guitar, you know, and I can't play the flute, any of that kind of stuff, so I can go fit in on this. And actually, it was really, really exciting. I got a lot out of it. Um, I know Rick got a lot out of his, you know, with the advanced guitar, and Teresa was basic guitar. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, Laura, you had the training the voice or something? But it was really, really fun. And I, I, I asked Rick if he came away this morning with a new song or two, and he did. So he's going to try them out next week. And Lori, I heard her voice this morning, lovely as ever. And Teresa, you're going to be up there on guitar soon. And so I thought I'd jump out there first and try the PowerPoint that I learned yesterday. I used to use them in uh, services, but I stopped. Uh, when you do outdoor venues, you don't have much of the opportunity to use PowerPoint. So we're going to stumble through this, and if you see me stumbling, just have patience with me. I've transitioned from the beach to the desert to now having electricity, so we'll see what happens. Um, uh, there's a lot of folks out this morning ill, uh, so if we could open in prayer and maybe remember those folks, and then we'll get started with the message. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful yet again that we can come together in your presence this morning and, and just, uh, just be with you. It's just an absolute joy to cap our week off at the end of a long week, and today we look forward to another long week ahead of us, but Father, with you right there in the middle of it with us, we know that we can, we can press on. And Father, as I'm thinking this morning, there's many of us out sick this morning, there's a lot of uh, flus and colds and sore throats and such, Father, I ask that you please let the Holy Spirit just land on those folks this morning that are not feeling up to snuff, and, and let them feel your presence as they recuperate. And uh, for those that are in the hospital and healing from surgeries and and alike, that you just uh, make your presence known to them this morning. And Father, as we start this uh, service this morning, that, uh, that the message that uh, you have me speak is one from my heart and from you that uh, we can all gain something from and that we can use it somewhere in this week going forward. I ask you please bless our service this morning. In Christ's name, amen. And one of the, uh, the things when I was putting this message together this week, I kind of had uh, a little bit of conflict you know, I, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, too, that we got the, somebody on this shoulder and somebody on this shoulder saying, yeah, you should, no, you shouldn't, what are you thinking, what are you doing? And w what I wanted to talk about this morning was the, in John 3, uh, we all know John 3:16 like the back of our hand, but that whole chapter from 3 through 18, there's a lot in it. And as I was putting it together and trying to figure out a way to, to commentate on it, if you will, is I'm talking to a bunch of folks in here that probably understand quite well what the born-again experience is and are born again and understand what it is. And, and I shouldn't be the Holy Spirit, so I won't. There may be some that don't have that experience in their heart or that they've, they've come to a point in their life where they were born again, they understand that full, what that all entails, but sometimes we get a little bit beaten down. I kind of touched on that last week, and you know, when I sometimes come through that door and I'm just beaten down. There's a reason why that born-again experience is so important in that beaten-down feeling. 
It gives you a renewed strength of who you are in Christ and who you are, you know, in this world because of that born-again experience. So uh, there's, a, there's a few things uh, that I was going to point out this morning. We'll get to, but as you think about it going forward, what is the born-again experience in your mind? Where do you have it in your heart? How do you understand it to be? Um, before I get older, what are these my glasses? This could be a crisis. We'll get through it. At least they weren't on my forehead, huh? All right. Let's open up to John chapter 3, and we'll read 3 through 18, and hopefully I can get through this. John 3, 1 through 18. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's room and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed at what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes will... In, excuse me. Who, so who... The who, so, whatsoever is getting here. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world must be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And one of the things when I was putting this together, I started thinking about that born-again statement. And how many times in our lives have we seen at the football game the guy behind the goalpost with the John 3.16 sign? It's so commonplace for us. Non-believers, if you could ask them to say one Bible verse, I'm certain that all of them could come up with John 3.16. They may not know it's John 3.16, but they'd understand it. They could get close. And one of the things that we get so maybe complacent about in our lives, both believers and non-believers, is the term born again. What is it? You know, and what is it not? And what I hope to do this morning is touch on both of those, what it is and what it is not. But I was... I, I don't know what we did before Google, but I, I wanted to show some of the terms that born again is not. And uh, this is where we're going to try the PowerPoint. It doesn't work next to cactuses, but it will work here, I'm sure. 
Blighted Sheffield plans to be a born-again city. A born-again city. The West End is born again, flattened 50 years ago in the name of urban renewal. Pro-life protest movement is born again. Born again city. Warsaw, the city that was raised to the ground during the Second World War has been restored. Born again. The Sands returns to its roots with a fresh approach to marketing which may signal its long-awaited comeback. And those are the, the things about statements that we make that get corrupted. The term born again is very precious to those of us that have experienced the born again word, the event. What is it? The world doesn't see it the same way we do. They look at a city and say, the city's being reborn. John McCain, I think it was one third on another slide, John McCain's a reformed, reborn tax cutter. You know, we have taken the term born again and we've diluted it We've softened it. We've changed it. We've taken the focus of it off of Christ and what that born-again experience is and placed it on junk, placed it on stuff, buildings that have fallen down. The west end of Boston is being rebuilt. It's being reborn. Rancho Cucamonga, we had a bad neighborhood down by the railroad tracks. It's being reborn. That is not what born-again is. Born-again is when we have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is the born-again experience. And when we corrupt it in the world with things and thoughts like this, it cheapens the gospel. And the gospel writers didn't want anything to do with that. When they were talking about the born-again experience, it was putting the focus on Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us, not some silly city that's going to be reborn, not some tax cutter that's a reborn tax cutter, but a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and what that means to us. And it's so important to where we are on this planet for the short time we're here. If we don't understand what born again is, and if we start thinking as believers that it's just a term, or that we're so used to it that we just use it in passing, it's going to cheapen the gospel too, to us believers. And that is sad. When we hear people say, born again auto sales, you know, it should trigger something in us. It's, it's not that. It's not stuff. It's my Savior. And if you don't know my Savior, if you think that the Inland Empire is born again. Let me tell you about my Savior and what that real experience is. And we touched on it in Bible school or Bible study this morning in many weeks. Sometimes we're so afraid to say what it is. Sometimes we can't go to people and say, stop, don't talk about a building like that. Let me tell you about my, my Jesus and tell you what born again is and what that means. And it's a training event. It's a training thing in our minds. You know, I can't do it. I've told you guys this many times. I can't do it the way some people do it. I, I just can't. I can't go up to somebody blind and say, are you born again? You know. But in the course of a conversation, I see Lori do it. We were at a Baptist meeting yesterday, and she was evangelizing in a Baptist convention. You know, It doesn't matter to her. She just gets out there and she says it, but she doesn't slap them on the head and say, are you born again? She engages them in conversation. She engages them in real life stuff. You know, How are the kids? I understand you're sick. And then and, and transfers from that. And it's such a neat way to see that happen. And John, I hate to keep picking you every week, but the way you do it is great. You know, you go to the mall and you engage people in conversation. I, I, I struggle with that. I can't, I can't do that. But I can do it the way I do it. And what that way is to me is perfect, but it won't be for you. So don't copy me. Don't copy John or Lori. Just do your own thing, but do it. When you see things like this or you hear things like this, don't be afraid to say, here's the real story. Here's the real scoop, if you will. Okay. What born again is not? Oh, 
Just saying that we have a new lease on life. How many times have we heard that? You know, I know Jesus. I've got a whole new lease on life. That's not what being born again is. Being born again is having that faith in Jesus Christ, having a new life in Jesus Christ. It's not a new lease on this junky old life we have. It's a whole new life that we have in Jesus Christ that we can be proud of. I mean, you got, you know, we hear all the time, don't be so proud, don't be proud about this, that. but you can be proud of the fact that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ, and you don't have to be afraid of it, and don't have to shy back away from it, that you don't have just a new lease on this junk here, you've got a whole new lease on life on the other side, and that's an eternal life, that's not stopping when we take our last breath on this earth, when we take that last breath and we go on the other side, that sounds too weird, but when we get there, it's a, that's forever. You know, I had a conversation with a guy at work, a great kid. He came here to my ordination. I've been working with him for a long time. Just a great kid, great believer, went to Bible college. But he has this idea that somebody planted in his head. Now, he's a born-again believer, loves God with all his heart, but he's getting sidetracked on what they call, I think, the cessation movement or something. It's where you, when you take that last breath, that's the end of it. You're either living all your life here for the Lord or you're not. And then when you take your last breath, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, that's the end of you. You're, it's, I think, annihilation theory or something they call it. But you're done. That's the end of you. You, you stop existing. And that's not what happens. If you don't have the born-again experience, if you don't relish that and understand what that is, when you take that final breath, you don't stop. That's not the end of you. You don't disappear. There's more to it. But you can't get that on the other end. You get that now on this end. You make your decisions for Jesus Christ here, not then. And it doesn't stop when we take that last breath. It goes on forever. And eternity, it's, see, I was telling you, you know, it makes me crazy when I think about eternity. I can't. When you get to that furthest part you can think about, that's it. And then there's one more step. It keeps going. You know, That's what it will be when we step over with Jesus on the other side, when he welcomes us into heaven. But that decision has to be made here. And we as born-again believers have to realize how important that is and how much we have by having that born-again experience now. You know, it's just a fantastic, fantastic thing that we have. So being born-again is not just saying I have a personal commitment to Jesus and not acting regenerated. That one, that, that I really struggle thinking through that one because we say it all, I say it all the time. I have a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm born-again. Therefore, I have but if you say, I have a, a commitment to Jesus Christ, but you don't really, or you don't act as if you do, or you don't believe, you know, when you're, you have those doubts thinking, if this is the end of it for me today, what's going to happen tomorrow? Once you make that decision and you're born again, you have faith in Jesus Christ, that's all put away. That's all done. You have eternal life. You as believers in Jesus Christ have eternal life, and it's such a, a grand, exciting thing to have. But it's not just... I think I have a personal commitment to Christ. You either know or you don't. And you do know. Once you make that commitment to Jesus, you are His. You cannot be plucked out of His hand. You know, we, I joke around a lot of times with, with Rick on theological conversations, you know, the eternal security and how many angels dance on the head of a pin. But I firmly believe that if, once you are born again, you're an adopted child of Jesus Christ, there's nothing. Paul says there's nothing that's going to take that from you or from him. You are a child of God forever. You may not be the best child. I've got three of them. And, well, one's this. I'd say all three of them are little knuckleheads every once in a while, you know. But they're still my kids. No matter what they do, they, they are still my kids. They can be knucklehead kids. 
they can be great kids, but they're still my kids. And that's the same thing with Jesus Christ. We are still his children, whether we're good, bad, or indifferent, we're his. If we have that born-again experience, if we understand where we are in relationship to God through Christ. Born again is not just saying, I believe, and I'll be going to heaven. How many times have we heard that one? I've, the, the biggest atheist, non-believer in the world thinks they're going to go to heaven because why? They're good. They, you know, they don't sin much. They pay their taxes on time. They're kind of good people. That's not what does it. And you know, here I am talking to a bunch of born-again people. What difference does this make to you? Because you're born again, right? But you have to understand that you can believe you're going to heaven because you are if you had that born-again experience. And that's what you have to settle in your mind. Did you at some point have that born-again experience? You did. Do you live now like you have that in your heart? You do. But sometimes you're beaten down. But even if you're beaten down, you still are a born-again child of God. It makes no difference how bad you feel because Christ died for you on the cross, no matter how you feel. But when you are in the middle of those doldrums, I've been there. I understand it. You have a Savior in heaven that died for you. So as a born-again believer, you can't get any better than that. You just can't. You have Jesus Christ in your heart, which is good if you have him in your heart. You have Jesus Christ that you believe you're going to go to heaven to see. That's great if you have Jesus in your heart and you believe it and you've made that commitment that you are born again through Jesus' work, not yours. The New Testament shows us what born again means. John, 1 John 2, 29. These are just some examples. And it was really neat when I was pulling these together that they, they all come, this batch all comes from 1 John. And it's really powerful because John 3.16 is written by the same dude as John, 1 John. And to see how he ties all of this born-again experience together. And now, as you read these, read them as born-again believers, if that's where you are in your, your life. If you know that he, who's he? Jesus Christ. If you know that Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You are born of Jesus Christ, as odd as that may sound. Because he's righteous, not because you are. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. You are righteous through Christ. And that's not a gloating, bragging thing. That's just a matter of fact. If you've been born again, made the commitment to Jesus Christ, you are righteous through Christ, not on your own merits. And I, next one. 1 John 3.9 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. No one born of God, who's that? The reborn believer in Jesus Christ, makes a practice of sinning. You sin. I sin. We all sin. What he's saying here is the practice of sin, that constant over and over and over again sin that we all stumble with. But if you live in that arena, if you live in that sin and constantly stay in it, you're going to feel like yuck but you're still a born-again believer and can pull out of that yuck based on Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross for us. And the practice of sinning, let's, maybe we can practice not to sin that one particular sin, whatever that might be in our lives. Maybe we can make a, a habit of, instead of doing it three days a week, we cut it back to two and maybe next month we cut it back to one. But we try, you know. For God's seed abides in him. When I thought of that one, it's, when we were born you know, the phys physiology part of it. We got the mom, we got the dad, and we got the kid. We're born of that perishable seed. When we're reborn, we are born of Jesus Christ's seed. It cannot be corrupted. 
we can do damage to it. We can not live up to what we should be living up to, but we're still that seed. And you can't pull it out. You can't take it away. You can't stop it. You know, a child that's born does nothing to be born, right? He did nothing, but he's born. He can't stop that process. Those around him can. God Almighty has reborn us through Jesus Christ. We can't stop it if we're called by Jesus Christ. If God gave us to Christ, he accepts us, we accept him. You got that union, it's not going to be separated unless we flat out turn our backs. In Zechariah chapter 1, it says, if you turn your back on me, I'll turn my back on you. So there is danger of turning your back on Jesus Christ. And it's in scripture. You know, I don't, I don't like it. I, I, I tremble at that one, that we can turn our back on God and he'll turn his back on us. So maybe we just shouldn't turn our back on God. Maybe if we start at that point and say, as, as bad as I feel, as beaten down as I am, I'm not going to turn my back on you today, God. You know, and He won't turn his back on you. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So we do sin. And we do maybe do that same sin over and over. And we say, Lord, forgive me for that. And we go for a week without it. And we do it again. It's part of life. It's, it's just part of the deal. You can't justify it. You can't make light of it or get around it. You sin. Sin is sin. And gentlemen, I've got to stop telling you guys all this stuff. I sin all the time. It happens all the time. I'm a sinner, you know. If I wasn't, I would be up on the cross. But I'm a sinner, you know. I try not to. I try to back it down a notch. I try to watch what I say and do. But as she's witness to me, when I'm driving down here and it's raining and i got ten minutes to get to John's message, you know, I, oh, get out of the way, you know, I don't see. But, you know, it's just part of life. That's who we are. But we try not to continue in that. We live in Jesus Christ, his love for us, not reigning in sin. First John, John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Wow. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I mean, there is just a week's worth of sermons in that one. Especially coming out of James that we were in the last few weeks, you know. When you compare the, the love that, that we as believers have in Jesus Christ that we should be showing to each other, and you kind of juxtaposition that next to James and what he was saying about backbiting and sniping and maybe locking horns with each other, I'd much rather have love for one another and try to live as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ because whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I want to be known as someone that knows God and loves God. Not somebody that may be sniping at you because I don't like your hair or you because I don't like your glass. Oh, I don't know that. I want to show love. It's not easy. I know you guys probably look at me and say, it's not easy to love you either. I understand all that. But that's, that's what we should strive for is love for one another in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the born-again experience. 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Wow. Everyone, every single one of us who has been born of God overcomes the world. There is hope, folks. There is hope for me. And that is so exciting. When I read that, I, I always try to put myself in the position of the, of the text. But it was written just for me. This whole big book was written for me. Not you guys, just for me. And I try to put all my thoughts and my, my life experience in there. I, and, and I don't know if that's theologically sound or not, but it really helps me. When I see this text, and I realize, for Mike, you've been born of God, and you will overcome the world. I don't think there's any problem in doing that. I don't think there's any shame or hurt in doing that. You go ahead and grab that scripture, and you put that in your heart, and you live your life that way, and you live 
as if this was written as a love letter to you because it was. God gave up a lot. You know, he gave up his son to give us this word of God. Take possession of that and hold on to that and, and go ahead and insert your name in there. I'm absolutely certain there won't be any problem there. So for Mike, who has been born of God, I will overcome the world. Not on my own merits, though. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's what carries us through all this. You know, when we're beaten down and downtrodden and just, I can't take another step, I can't take another meeting, I can't take another person saying, ah, whatever it might be. It's my faith in Jesus Christ, my belief in Him, my love for Him that's going to sustain me through this. And you don't get there unless you go back again to that born-again experience because it doesn't make a difference. If you're not born again and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not in the right position with God through Christ, then it doesn't matter. We've heard it a million times. Just live, it, live for all the gusto you can now because when you stop breathing, that's the end of you. That's how a lot of folks in the world believe and it's just not so. It, it, and it's sad. You know, when I, I work with a lot of guys that aren't believers. In fact, I may be the only one in the plant. And, when, you know, it sounds great when they're, they're off having a grand old time. Boy, that wouldn't be so bad. Maybe I could go golfing Sunday instead of going to church. Or, you know, maybe I could just uh, go out to the bar with them and, you know, just a couple, you know, just have a good old time. But I can't live that way because I've had that born-again experience. And I know that my faith in Jesus Christ sets me apart from the junk and the muck in this world. And I have to reflect that back into the society that I live in. And so if I start compromising that, you know, what am I reflecting back? A compromising Christian. Have we ever seen that in the news? Okay. How does it happen? Through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get to that other side, to get to that high mark of being born again unless you go through Jesus Christ. That is it. It's as simple as that. You don't have to do 27 Hail Marys. You don't have to, you know, uh, light 100 candles or go to Nirvana or you don't have to, you know, go to some uh, Mecca and walk around in circles and whatever they call that. And I'm not mocking them. I'm just saying you don't have to do that. It's the most easy, simple thing in the, in, in the world. If you turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I, Mike, am a sinner. I accept your son. Your, the gift of God, of Christ, is, is for me. That's all it is. And then all the stuff that builds on that as we go along is great. You know, that's how we have Catholic charities and that's how we have all the hospitals in the world because somebody, out of love for Jesus Christ, worked on that. Mother Teresa, what a, what a wonderful woman. But she's just as much a sinner as the rest of them. If she doesn't accept the gift of Jesus Christ, then all her good works are nothing. That's where I am. All my good works don't make a hoot. doesn't make a, a hill of beans difference. It's who do I say Jesus Christ is? Am I born again? And how does that happen? It's through Christ, and that's it. Works are great. Charities are great. Donating. Tithes and offerings are wonderful. But you know what? That's not going to buy you an e-ticket, us older folks, an e-ticket to heaven. You know, it's not going to make a hoot of difference. It's who we say Christ is, and that's it. It's so simple. Our, our, what we have, it's just simple. You know, there's not a million hoops we have to jump through. There's not, there's not a whole litany of things that we have to check off the list and say, I did this and did that, and now God's going to say, welcome in. That's not it. It's who do you say Jesus Christ is, that's it. And then build from that your faith, and build from that your works, and build from that your life. But the foundation of the whole thing is Christ and Him crucified and Him risen for us.
We cannot make it happen. This is really interesting to me, especially in the, in the um, arena of evangelism and the arena of witnessing. We can't make somebody born again. You and I can't do it. We can take our sister and we can put her under armor and just keep banging our head and say, you've got to be born again. It doesn't make a difference. That's not how it works. God calls us to, to Christ. The Holy Spirit is given for us as a, as a comforting pulling from the world to the Son. And that's how it happens. It's got nothing to do with me. Now, I do have a part in, in that uh, scenario, if you will. I do have to plant those seeds. I do have to witness. I do have to talk to those at the plant. I do have to say something to somebody on the train. I can't kick the bum. I have to step over him sometimes. I, you know, I just have to do my part. And that, that, there's nothing wrong with that. Our part is it's in the whole scope of how the born-again thing works. You know, you said it this morning, John, if, if they don't hear, how are they going to know? That's our job. We have to let them hear. How does that happen? Well, I get up here on Sunday and I preach a message to a bunch of believers. And that's not going to do you much good, is it? But it might plant a seed in your mind that next week maybe you'll, you'll come across somebody that might need to hear, who is this man, the Christ? And you'll be prepared to say, hey, just look at me in one of these scriptures or let me show you in, in our 30-day uh, passing. We can have a part, but we can't, we can't do it all. We just plant that little seed. I cannot make it happen. That was, that was pretty easy. I, and I, I meant that for myself. I don't know in the writing of it if it makes sense, but when I was thinking through, I can't make you born again. I can't make anybody up the street or down the street born again. But I can present the gospel in such a way, my way, that will make sense to somebody. And maybe they will then latch on to the born-again experience. Not through me, but maybe John ran into him at the mall or maybe Jan at the, the homeschool group, something. But something I say might sink in to somebody and somebody else will water and somebody else will pull the weeds and somebody will plant and you know, harvest and all that. But we have our part and we can't be afraid to do our part. You know, we just have to just do our part. That's it. Very simple. That's how it happens. God makes it happen. God calls us to him through Jesus Christ. And we don't know how that happened. I don't know how it happens. I remember back in 1972 or 3 when it happened, kind of time frame, but I don't remember exactly what it was. I do remember it was in a youth group with a bunch of kids, and I do remember that my best friend Mike said, hey, the Baptist church has got some cute girls up there. We ought to go up there. You know, that's... But I was a teenage kid. So I went up to the Baptist church with my buddy, and you know, here's this little Catholic kid, my Baptist buddy, and all the cute girls. And sure enough, there was cute girls there. But you know what else was there? There was a youth pastor there that cared enough about kids that he didn't humiliate us. He cared for us. He nurtured. That's art. That's why I love seeing what he, what he does for the kids. It, the youth are so so important. And when I look back <laughs> where I am today, where it started, it was because there was a youth pastor that cared enough about me. To, to show me who Christ was. And I, I'm so embarrassed when I think back on it because I, I, was, I was a typical 15 or 16-year-old tough guy. You know, I was all of, what, 82 pounds maybe. And uh, I, remember, I remember having my pack of cigarettes, you know, stuck down in my sock because that was cool. You know, and I remember, I'll, I'll never forget this. I, I'm still embarrassed about it. Me and Mike, my buddy, at the Baptist church, we were flipping pennies up against the wall. I don't know what that game is where you try to get the penny closest to the wall and whoever gets it. But there we are in a church ground playing 
tossed a penny up against the wall, and one of the members of the church came out and grabbed this, you know, this big old macho 90-pounder, picked me up, and what are you guys doing? But I was embarrassed now when I look back on that, how silly that was. But you know what? They didn't throw me off campus. They kept me there and nurtured me, and I am today what I am because somebody, an adult, some old guy, he must have been 35 years old, <laughs> he cared enough about me, you know? And that's what I want to reflect back. That's why I keep telling you about the scouts. I love the scouts. Those scoundrels are little, you know, hyper little guys. But man, oh man, this 50-year-old might be able to reach one of those little 12-year-olds and, and somewhere down the road when I'm 90, God willing, and he's 50, you know, something I said clicks in that kid's head. And now he's going to be standing up in front of a congregation and, and explaining this born-again thing, what that means to him. I just want to be that little tiny part. You know, that's all I ask. It's just that little tiny part. Let me plant the seed in, in that kid. And uh, I, I remember when I was chaplain for those scouts, and I'd have to give messages. And it's easy giving it in front of adults. This is a snap, getting up and speaking in front of you guys. But when you get up in front of a group of seven or 800 little Boy Scouts, and they're off in a million miles, million different directions, I was always afraid, and I, I remember talking to Scott about this many, many a time, I was always afraid that I'd say the wrong thing. And that frightened me, because... I didn't want to say the wrong thing to a child and have him go the other way. That frightened me like crazy. And Scott finally got me zoned in and, and over that. You just you know, study and, and present the gospel the way you can. But I was really concerned. I, I didn't want to say something to one of those kids that you know I have to give an account for somewhere down the road. But again, I just planted a seed. That's all I did, you know. And uh, take the opportunities where we can. Galatians 1.3 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, our God and Father. That's the pulling I was talking about. It's God pulls us towards Jesus Christ. You know, the, the seed is planted by somebody. It's nurtured by somebody. We've got uh, praying moms, praying for kids, praying for grandkids. But God's going to pull them. All the praying we do, we, we don't really... How do I say this without getting stoned? Praying is good. It brings us closer to God. It lets our petitions be known to God. But it's God that's going to do the work in your prayers. When you pray for your grandson, it's God that's going to do that work. We're just a, a conduit of the prayer that he can hear a, a grandmother, an aching mom, praying for their child. But it's God Almighty. It's Jesus Christ that's going to answer those prayers. And he's going to, he's going to reward you for all the prayers for your grandchild. And he's going to you know, pray, uh, reward us for the time that we were on our knees praying for our children, our church, our community. But it's God that does that work. It's God that pulls us in. It's God that, that answers those prayers, not us. We're just letting our message be known to, to God, letting Christ hear our, our heart ache, letting him know what concerns us. But he does the work, not us. And First Peter 1, and I cut out 24 because it didn't fit quite in. I feel bad about it now, or this morning when I was driving in, because I don't like doing that, but um, I won't do it again. But when you guys get home, look at First Peter 23, 4, and 5, and, and that little part in between. It, it wasn't germane, as they say, to this message this morning, so I kind of excluded it. I would have skipped over it anyway, but I don't like what I did. Anyway, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The perishable seed and imperishable seed. We were born of the perishable seed. You know, again, I don't have to go into the physiology of it, but we were, we're humans. 
When we are reborn through Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, we're born of a seed that's, that can't be corrupted, can't be changed, can't be plucked out. It's living forever. Once you make that commitment to Jesus Christ, that, that, that's sealed forever. It's an imperishable seed that you were born again into God's family through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. And that was preached to you. That, that's what this whole book is about. Every, from the front to the back, every bit of it, is, is, it focuses on who is Jesus Christ, where are we with Jesus Christ, how can we be better because of Jesus Christ, how can we improve society through Jesus Christ, how can we do everything. The whole thing is written for our relationship with Christ. And we have to understand that it's not just words on paper. You know, this is the, the, the living, breathing Word of God that was given through the writers, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we can take this and we can really believe that this stuff is really, really true. We talked again, John, and I keep, I do this. You get people saying all the time, there's errors in the book. Well, there very well could be. If you could find one for me, let's, let's see if we can't look and figure it out. Now, there are, I will tell you, there are some conflicts. There are things that, uh, you know, they're kind of difficult to explain, but they can be explained. They can be reasoned out. They can be thought through and make sense. But I have yet to have anybody that said, you know, that there's errors, find one. John, I, I'm sure you haven't had anybody. They're not there. Now, there's books and books and books written on the errors and the answer to what, what those errors are and how they're not there. And it's fun reading, but again, like I said last week, you pour all that junk through the filter of whatever that is, and whatever comes out is what you need to focus on. I, I don't get caught up in errors in the scripture. You know, I just, it's, if you can find one, we'll talk about it. I've yet to have anybody find one that really goes beyond a few-minute conversation. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to believe you. That doesn't mean that, that the answer that you give them or the, the, the facts that you show them will make a difference, because they come at the those folks that don't believe the scripture come at it from a different angle than we do. We look at this as precious and true. They don't. This is just a book. You know, it's got signatures and bindings and, you know, cute little ribbons hanging out of it. It's just a book. But we don't see it that way. We see this as God's word. And in God's word, it tells us from the very front to the end how to get to that born-again experience. And what we as students of the word need to do is we need to start understanding what that is, and we have to have a, a plan, you know, like a game plan for a football team. We have to understand when someone asks us, and let's not take it out to the world. Let's not say somebody on the train with me, but how about your own kids? You know, if your kids, man, and the kids ask you some crazy questions, you know, but we have to be ready for that. We have to understand that we, we, we are given these little kids as gifts from God. We nurture them and we raise them, and they get to a certain point in life, and they're going to be questioning and that's good, because if they ever get to a point and they don't question, then, you know, there's probably bigger problems. But to have these kids question us, we have to be ready with an answer. So what is this born-again stuff, you know? Yeah, I was baptized when I was 12, and you know, I was raised in the church, and then I went off to college, and life, you know, moved on. We have to be ready to explain to them who, who, positionally where we are with Jesus Christ because of that born-again experience. What's going to happen positionally if we don't have that born-again experience? And if the child has had a born-again experience in their youth and they kind of grew up in a kind of, kind of different direction, how we as parents and grandparents, we can kind of maybe just kind of push them back over this way and push them back over this way and remold them a little bit and in a good way, you know, not brainwash them, but be ready with answers to who is Jesus Christ. And the best example of that is who Jesus Christ is in our lives as parents and adults and, and uh, uh, family members, you know, because our kids can see through us. 
every time. I know my kids do. You know, when I'm driving Michael up to Joshua Tree and I pick him up in Claremont, and we get in the truck and we get as far as probably Fontana before I'm ready to roll the window down and throw him out, he keeps coming at me with these questions, you know. I don't know. I, I, I get the big bucks for standing up in front of you guys knowing all the answers, but I don't know all the answers, right? And Michael thinks I do. So we, we go over things and go over things, and I could so easily just turn on them and say, blah, whatever I'm going to say, and then throw them out. Or I can try and direct them. If I can't come up with an answer, direct them to someone that can, that, that, that knows better. It's like driving, teaching your kids how to drive. I could teach your kid how to drive, but I can't teach my kid how to drive. You know, I just don't have the patience for that. It's the same with, with Michael, I suppose. Is he asks me these crazy questions, and if your kid asked me that, or your kid, I mean, I would be able to, I'd sit down for weeks and explain the answer to him. But with my own kid, I don't have the patience for it. I get frustrated because you heard all this growing up. I've already told you all this stuff growing up, you know, but I can't do that. So our kids are our, I guess, our sounding board for who we are, you know, as far as witnesses of the gospel. And um, we, we have to be ready with an answer for them. We have to be prepared. You know, uh, the scouts, man, can they come up with some real doozies? And you have to be ready. Now, I tell them many times when they ask me some doozy questions, I, I just don't know. Go talk to you know, somebody else because I don't know. But at least they come to me and I, you know, we talk and it's a great uh, dialogue that we have with the kids. But you know, we have to be ready with our own children. Uh, we can't let the whole world, you know, we can't chase after saving the entire city of Rancho Cucamonga and leaving our kids behind. And I've, I've, been, I've been there. I understand what that's like. You know, I'm so busy witnessing down at Doheny or I'm so busy out at the Joshua Tree National Park, or I'm just so busy with junk in life that I left my kids kind of, oh, mom, we'll take care of that. And that's, that's, uh, I'm trying, I know. Sorry. So, anyway, next one. It's not a suggestion. This one is really neat. If you look with me, is there one, is there a scripture up there? John 3 7. Jesus answers back and says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. That is so absolutely critical in our life. It's not a suggestion. Jesus isn't saying to Nicodemus, you know, well, maybe if you have a moment, you might want to consider the gospel. He doesn't say that. He says, you must, Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus was like, in our culture, we might say, Pastor Nick. You know, he was, he was just a pastor of a church. He was a big muckety-muck. He got probably the bigger robe and the bigger hat, but he was just a pastor. He was just a, a rabbi. Happened to be in the Sanhedrin, and, and, you know, big shot, but it doesn't make any difference. Whether you're a bum on the street, whether you're a bum on the train, or whether you're Nicodemus, it makes no difference. You have to be born again. You must be born again. There's no way around it. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. It's not a suggestion. And that should be burning in our hearts as we go into school and as we go into work and as we raise our children and just life. That should be just at the forefront of our thought all the time. You must. And I, I am, but somebody else might not be. And so I have to get that message to somebody else that you must be born again. Jesus didn't say, maybe if you got a moment, maybe if you're not busy next Friday, he said, you must, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it's so critical. You have to be born again. And how do we do that? You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't barter your way into heaven. You can't get suggested into heaven moms and dads can't pray you into heaven. You know, you can't be raised in a particular faith and get to heaven. It doesn't work. You have to turn to Jesus Christ and believe on him. That's how it happens. And that's, that's why it's so exciting for us that are believers. 
we're there. We believed on Jesus Christ. We understand that. And we have such a, a gift that we can share with the community that Jesus Christ is real. He's not a fairy tale. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's exclusive. Yeah, it is. That's tough. And we'll do a message on that sometime, the exclusivity of Christianity. Because that I get it all the time from non-believers too. You guys are so narrow-minded. Well, we were told to be narrow-minded. There's no other way in. And if I don't say something to people, I have to give answer to that. If you don't say something, you'll have to give answer too. You know, It's not just the pastor that stands up in front of the crowd and speaks. It's us in the, in the pews that we have, a, we have a page in that book that we are part of. And that we have to share that in the community. We have to share that with people. That's our job. And it's, it's not a burden. You know? We just have to share the good news of Christ. And that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's all there is to it. It's not how many candles you lit, not how many rosary beads, and I'm not picking on them because my whole entire family is Catholic. But it hurts me more because my whole family is Catholic. I've seen what they've done. And I, I'm so sensitive when I speak on this because it, I, I don't want it to come across wrong, and especially when I talk to them about it. I respect the fact that my mom prays every morning for all of us kids, you know? But mom, you don't really need those beads. And I respect the fact that my mom lights a candle for every child and grandchild in the family. Now it's one big candle because there's so many of us, but she lights it every morning. She says her prayer. Mom, I said, we love the prayer. We love the candle. We love the, the, your heart, but you don't need the beads and you don't need the candle. And she says, oh, Tony, it's just the candles to remind me. And oh, Tony, the rosary beads are just so that I can focus on God. And I said, okay, Mom. You know, but it's not that stuff. It's Jesus Christ. Him and his death, burial, and resurrection for us. It doesn't matter the beads and the candles. But we, and I saw it yesterday at, the, at the, uh, one of the seminars, and it made me cringe. It just, I didn't realize there was so much bigotry in the church. And I was asking Jan about it on the way in. I said, is it just as a generational thing, because, or is it because I have a history in Catholicism with my family that I, maybe I'm hypersensitive, but... The guy that was giving the seminar in my class had a, uh, had a screen up, and it was beautiful artwork for his background, much better than my blah stuff, but it was just beautiful. And what it was, was it was Christ on the cross, and it was kind of faded, it was kind of an artsy-tartsy kind of thing, because that's the crowd he's reaching, and it was kind of blended. It was really pretty, and I, it just never dawned on me, but this older gentleman behind me was a little bit offended by the fact that there was the crucifix in this picture. And the, the guy gave a good answer, probably a better one than I could have, but he said, my church, my crowd understands what I'm doing with this, with this picture, with this background. It doesn't bother them that much. And he moved on, which was a pretty good answer, the way he said it, not the way I repeated it. But it, it really, what, in that environment, what really struck me was the bigotry that we have amongst believers, you know? The, the animosity that we have. Here we were, a, a bunch of non-Baptists, Fellowshipping with a bunch of Baptists in a Baptist church, but there was um, there was Pentecostal folks up in the in the worship group. There was non-denominational folks there. There was a whole bunch, and I try to balance that ecumenicism stuff. You know, I don't want we are the world. Everybody's okay. You know, there's certain standards we have to live by, but the centrality of the gospel, the centrality of Christ. You know, maybe we should focus on those things, and maybe we should uh, agree where we can agree and not kill each other where we don't. You know, because I mean, in my country. My, where I was born, there was a lot of hatred. There was a lot of fighting between the sects. You know, there was the Protestants and the Catholics, and we just didn't like each other. You know, I was, I wasn't raised this way, but I heard it growing up that Protestants were pagans. That word was synonymous. 
And when I was listening to this guy behind me yesterday, you know what? I think he was raised the same way on the other side of that fence. He thought Catholics were pagan. You know, so we, maybe, maybe if we focus on the cross and who Jesus Christ is and maybe back away from some of that, that rhetoric that just fans the flame of hatred, maybe there's more room at the foot of the cross if, if you know, we do that. And maybe our message to people would be a little bit more real if we could eliminate some of that hatred we have amongst the group. And the, this is, we'll close on this one. The assurance of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Wow. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't get any better than that. You don't need any commentary on that. You don't need to expound on that. God so loved Mike. So put your own name in there. Go ahead and personalize that. He so loved you that he gave his only son. And a couple of weeks ago when I talked about Deuteronomy 6, that word in there uh, about the one and only uh, is the word ikad, E-C-H-A-D. It's, a, it's the Hebrew word for unique, one of a kind. There's no other, it's not one of many. It's not like a cluster of grapes where you have one grape in the cluster. Jesus Christ was the one and the only Son of God that was given. I, I say it all the time in messages, I can't even fathom giving up your son for a bunch of people. I don't get it. You know, that's, that's huge. But God gave us Jesus Christ for us. And out of that, we get eternal life. And that's not a prize that we should be gloating about, but we should be very happy we have it. And with that joy that we have it, we should be able to express, express that to folks around us and share it in the community. It's just a gift that you, I mean, you can't even quantify how neat that is. But God loved us. Insert your own name there. So much that he gave his one and only, one-of-a-kind, unique son for us. It's, it's over the top. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you are our God, that you are our Savior, that you are ours, and that we can personalize that, and that we can take that to our hearts and know that we are eternally secure in you, that we are your children, your adopted sons and daughters, that we are part of you and uh, accepted on what you've done for us. And Father, the gift that we were given of eternal life through Jesus Christ is something that we should be so excited about that we pray that we find one place this week that we can share that and let the world around us know that there is a way out of the, the torment and the hell on earth that we have. There is hope, that there is joy on the other side of, of the sorrow that we still many times run into, that, and that joy is Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask you to please give me the strength this week to, to share that with somebody. Let me have the strength to share it with my own children and my, my family. And Father, I ask the same for our church, that you give each and every one of us the wisdom and strength to carry on and, and let that message get out from us this week, Father. I ask you to please bless the rest of this morning and today, and I ask you this in Christ's holy name. Amen.